1: The
3: This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbeck, filling in for Dave very early in the morning. Thank you very much. With me in the studio is Hannah Webb Howard. She is the uh, president and, let me emphasize, founder of the Second Amendment Society at the Bowen Law School, and I emphasize founder because every time I leave it off, she makes sure to correct me. She, in general, makes sure to correct me. Hannah, how are you this morning?
2: I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. If you if you'll let me, I'd like to do a birthday shout out this morning. Sure. To my dad. His name's Greg Webb. He is an avid listener when I'm on. No, I'm just kidding. He's an avid listener. And he is the big 50 today.
3: Oh my goodness. He's Crossing an old the line. Man. That's it. It's all downhill from there.
2: Yeah. So it's a good time. It's fun. That's
3: terrific. Well, happy birthday. And what's uh, uh what what tell tell us a little about your dad.
2: So he is a, he lives in Paragold, Arkansas, which is where I'm from. He um, works two jobs. So he's a firefighter and he owns a small business. He owns a small construction firm. So he has a little bit of both worlds. That's great. Yeah.
3: So they burn down and he rebuilds them.
2: Exactly. Exactly. It it doesn't always work that way, but (laughs) I mean, I guess it could.
3: (laughs) Watch out. Well, We are here this morning. We are going to talk about a number of topics, of course, as we always do, Uh, and we're going to have a number of guests calling in, and Chris Corbett is coming into the studio a little bit later as well. Let's start talking about, since you are the president and did I mention founder of the Second Amendment Society at the Bowen Law School, tell me what you think is going to happen now in the next session, given that we have thankfully elected our good friend Dan Sullivan now a state senator. So we're talking, of course, about stand your ground. The Bowen, um, excuse me, the Second Amendment Society at the Bowen Law School put on a wonderful presentation, uh, and several listeners to this show, based on our announcement, came to it, and we thank everyone for showing up. And we talked about uh, the stand your ground law, and I should say, conceptually a law, not a law here in Arkansas because it didn't pass. We're not going to talk about uh, blaming because that's now in the past. We will now have the success of the stand your ground law, of passing the stand your ground law, I should say, come the next legislative session. That is uh, as guaranteed as one can be guaranteed uh, by looking into the future. Indeed, Not only is Dan Sullivan now in the Senate, uh, we've got Ben Gilmore coming into the Senate, uh, and it's going to be a more conservative Senate than it was before. We've talked, Hannah, you and I, both on the air and off the air, about how the Senate and the legislature in general in Arkansas is, no doubt, overwhelmingly Republican. What it's not overwhelmingly is conservative. Amen. Amen. And of course, I don't care what the title is. I really don't. Aren't either? If you're an independent, well, of course, think about it. Trump was elected. He w- he was an independent until he joined the yeah. party, right? Well,
2: I tell you, I have mad respect for independents because they may think freely the most among us. You know, and we're all guilty of it. You know, I'm a Republican. Therefore, if there's something I don't know terribly too much about, I'm going to vote with the party because that's what I'm supposed to do because I'm yeah. a Republican. And so, independents think for themselves on every issue. And I have a lot of respect for that. So in a lot of respects, independents are, they're the backbone out there.
3: Amen. Amen. And they're the, they're the vote that really swings it in the general. But it's funny that you mentioned that because I had um, been an independent, have uh, registered uh, unaffiliated what I thought was my whole life. Uh, and then I was uh, having lunch with a friend who looked me up and apparently like five years ago in one of the elections here, I was registered a Republican. Now, I don't know if that was a mistake on my part, on their part, uh, or I did it intentionally. I'm happy to do it. It's not like I I fear doing it. But with that, I was informed. I was informed of that. And come this election that we just had for the judges, we, of course, also had a primary. And I finally decided to consciously and affirmatively, because I don't recall the last one, Register as a Republican, because what's clear to me and what's clear from the Dan Sullivan race is that a lot of what goes on in Arkansas in deciding who will be our true conservative representatives goes on in the primary.
2: Oh, absolutely.
3: Right. And so for the first time, I consciously meaning I don't recall that last one. I consciously registered to be a Republican here in Arkansas. And while I wholeheartedly agree with you on the value and virtue of independence, both ending with a C-E and T-S for those paying attention. Uh, At this point, from a practical standpoint, I said, you know what? I'm going to have to be a registered Republican. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I've got to step up to the plate and do it because I need to exert my influence as a voter, meaning the same influence that anybody else exerts, and vote for the candidates that are important to me. Now, I I didn't get to vote for Dan Sullivan, because I'm not up there in the Craighead County District. But I know that going forward, there are enough contested races that I felt it was appropriate to do.
2: Well, and I tell you, Dan, first of all, you have a terrible memory. The viewers, the the listeners need to know that. You have a terrible memory. So I'm not shocked that you don't remember how you registered. (laughs)
3: Well, while that said, uh, I think there's at least an equal chance that somebody, some bureaucrat messed it up yeah right uh, so yeah, sure uh, my lack of memory is uh, uh can't be um uh held up as the only lack of virtue when we're talking about the quality of bureaucracy
2: anyways dan's victory was it it just was extra sweet this time because the last primary season, and I know a lot of people remember it because it it feels like yesterday it feels like just yesterday we did this two years ago. The last primary was disappointing because we do have a terrible issue in arkansas with republicans only in name i don't care if we have a supermajority i don't i don't care what the stats look like our legislator does not act like true conservatives collectively because there's so many fake ones in there yeah and
3: 100 true by the
2: way and the last primary the turnout reflected that so people who won and lost races totally reflected the fact that we have Either uneducated voters or voters who don't care, or we there was enough of a money machine to back all these play-pretend Republicans. And it was disheartening because the good guys did not win last time. And they did in a couple races, right, but right. overall they did not. And so Dan's race, particularly this time, and he was in one of those contested races last time. That's last right. time his representative seat, it was dicey there for a second. And it would have been – and, of course, the his opponent had no voting record, so I can't say, oh, he's going to be a play-pretend Republican – but the people who backed him seem to suggest that it was their intention for him to be one of those people. And so Dan's victory and how much he beat his opponent by was, it was a breath of fresh air. It see it seemed to indicate that we are moving in the right direction. So, and it's also encouraging that the pressure has worked. We were a- across the board. I'm I get frustrated with how much people don't pay attention. But it was refreshing to see that people are starting to pay attention, either because things have gotten so bad that you can't avoid it anymore, or because they're just paying attention. And this was a response to it.
3: Yeah. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And you highlight some critically important points. You know that when Dan ran six years ago for the Senate uh, against the same opponent that he now beat, uh, Dave and others supported the opponent. Because Dan had no record, and the opponent made broad and strong claims about how he would vote.
2: He and was the perfect candidate in the primary. He on was. On paper. On paper.
3: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, when you have a candidate with a voting record, the proof is in the pudding. And you look at that record, and if someone tells you, I will do this, and I will do that, and they haven't done it, you choose the other candidate.
2: So, what's <clears throat> perplexing, is the word, to me— how do they think they're going to get away with it? Do they like do they actually think that they are so insulated by all their I want to call it establishment, quote unquote, backing that they can they they genuinely believe that they can get up there and do whatever they want and it'll be okay and they're insulated?
3: I think it's actually a wonderful question. I really mean that because there is a problem in democracy. And by that I mean, remember of course, There's a famous quote from Winston Churchill who says, democracy is the worst form of government after all the others, right? So it's not perfect is the basic point of that claim. And Churchill was, of course, entirely correct. But the other, the related problem is a problem of, there's a term that's slipping my mind based on the fact, as you described, my memory is fleeting. But the notion is that, We hire elected representatives to go out and do their jobs as senators and representatives because we don't do it. We hire doctors because we're not doctors. We hire lawyers because we're not lawyers. I am, but you take my point. So we allow the experts, so to speak, to do their jobs. So when someone comes forward and makes a claim about what they'll do, we tend to take them on face value. But the truth is that politicians are quite adept often at lying. And so now we've got to do more work to find out who's telling the truth. And at some point, one could arguably make the claim we should just go to a pure democracy. They should ask us every time on every issue instead of having elected representatives. That's the difference, by the way, between a pure democracy. You ask the people, you poll them every time, or you have a representative form of government where you hire a representative to work for you. By the way, the work for you part is the part that so many of these elected representatives seem to lose track of once they get that fancy title. It's really remarkable.
2: So, and that was what was hard in Dan's race, because Dan actually is the opposite of all those things. He really is who he says he is. He really tells the truth. He really is a good, genuine guy who I know for 100% fact is going to go down there and do what he says. But because all the other ones suck so bad, it, you people don't believe you when you say it about the good ones. So it, it's created an anomaly. And what do you do with it?
3: Dan has told the story, and then we'll take a break in, in, uh, when I finish uh, this short story. Dan has told the story how we met. And of course, it's it won't come to any surprise to you, Hannah. And that is, we were on an email chain, someone created it, uh, in which we were talking about A notion that became a bill that became a law, and that's the free speech on campus law that was passed and signed by the governor, bipartisan. That bill started in this studio with Dave Ellswick. Dave Ellswick said to me, I didn't say to him, he said to me, You know, there's this idea floating around the country about free speech on campuses doing away with these uh, free speech zones, because, of course, as you know, Hannah. You know what my uh, in, uh, my concept of a free speech zone is? It's called America, right? That's a free speech zone. In any event, so Dave tasked me aptly with coming up with a draft, and I worked with Senator Hammer. Bob Ballinger was working on a separate draft with a, a, a group from D.C. That's good, but not great, by the way. Uh, and, and we uh, worked on it, and then Dan was on this email, and he had a draft that uh, was provided to him by somebody else, and he sent it around and said to you, hey folks, I got this draft, what do you all think of it? Uh, I haven't even looked too closely at it. And I criticized it, as, far, as hard as that may be for you to b- believe. And Dan, I didn't know Dan at all, and Dan sort of, he describes, he said, well who's this guy even? I don't even know who he is, and he's criticizing this thing that I sent around. And then he went through the bill in detail because he hadn't yet. He just said, look, someone submitted this to us. And he said, you know, Steinbuck's right. By the way, that's a phrase I like to hear. And he said, Steinbuck's right. Uh, And he said, I got to talk with this guy. And that's how I met Dan.
2: It's funny how you've made most of your friends. Most of your stories with your friendship start out. Well, I told them they were wrong. Right. Well, we kind of got into a little bit of a fight. Right. That's how you've made all your friends. Because
3: I'm a shepherd, you see. And I'm leading the flock right off the the cliff, Zach. Am I right? We're like lemmings. We're all walking off the cliff. We're laying there on the bottom. The the ocean is hitting us. We're done. With that calm thought, maybe we should take a break. What do you think, Zach? This is Robert Steinbach. I am filling in for Dave Elswick on this Friday morning. It is Friday, right, Hannah? I can't even tell anymore. It is Friday. Thank you very much. And... I'm talking with Hannah Webb Howard here in the studio. Hannah Webb Howard is the president and founder, did I mention founder, of the Second Amendment Society over at the Bowen Law School. But I do happily mention that, in fact, I am the faculty advisor for whatever good that is, steering her in the wrong direction whenever I can, I'm sure. But I mention all this to say that Hannah, you know I'm originally from New York. I know the listeners can't tell because I've got that heavy southern accent now. Wait, what? What? Uh, but that notwithstanding, right? I would, If I was up in Paragould, people would think I was third generation Paragouldian. Am I right about that? Sure. In, sure. sure. In any event, right? Uh, my point, in all seriousness, is to say, to tell you that since I'm from New York, I've been here now, by the way, longer than I've lived anywhere. As an adult. Uh, So uh, that's kind of remarkable. I think it's just too late to shed the accent. Uh, But in any event, I grew up in an environment where owning firearms, and and in particular handguns, was an overwhelmingly challenging act. I achieved it, as I often do. No, uh, I achieved it, but it was overwhelmingly challenging. And down here in Arkansas, amongst other places... We recognize aptly that you have a constitutional right. Now, we can also say, I think it's fair to say, in fact, that it's a God-given right. Now, what do I mean by that? There's nothing in the Ten Commandments that said, thou shall carry a gun, right? But the point is that if you read the Bible, you understand that the notion of self-defense and preservation uh, is critical. It's throughout of course, if we didn't recognize that notion of self-defense and self-preservation, and we look at the Old Testament, l- the books that I uh, focus more the on, the books shall that we you say, recognize, right, right, uh, I, it's not that I recognize; I focus more on them, <laughs> right? Uh, we, it, it, it's uh, the well, certainly the first five books are focused quite distinctly on the preservation of the Jewish people, the chosen people in the Old Testament. And so this notion of self-defense has many sources. Of course, biologically, we can conceive of the fact that no um, biological entity survives without some notion of self-defense.
2: And it's wired into our biological scheme. It's literally wired into us.
3: Exactly. Uh, And so you come down to a state like Arkansas from somewhere like New York or Massachusetts or Illinois or California. I've picked all the liberal states. All the states, by the way, that if you have a concealed carry license in Arkansas, you still can't carry in. That's why we need a federal law uh, that allows uh, carrying across the nation. But that notwithstanding, uh, we—I uh, mention all this to say that it's—it's it's freeing when you come to a state like Arkansas and they say to you, "Hey, you want you want to drive." you you can drive you know here's your driver's license you want to carry a gun well you can carry a gun here's your license and by the way i don't want to get into at this moment the dispute as well as without a license meaning pursuant to constitutional carry however you get there you can carry and that's a really remarkable thing and it and it speaks to this issue of freedom and as does the notion of stand your ground, which we'll talk about after the break. Uh, I don't want to, Zach, how long do we have now? Uh, One minute left. But this notion of individual freedom and with individual freedom, by the way, Hannah and everybody else comes some risk. You let people make decisions for themselves And responsibility. And there it is. And there it is.
2: So it's interesting. I'll say this quick at the stand your ground forum. I talked to one of the viewers here and they were from Chicago and they said the exact same thing you did. It has been liberating moving down here. That was the exact words they used.
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And so when I say things like God bless America and God bless Arkansas, I really mean it. I really mean it because as I've just described, there is this connection. I'm not trying to claim that there's a a biblical line about uh, carrying firearms, but this connection about respect for individual autonomy and individual self-preservation that is reflected in the Bible, and you don't have to believe in the Bible, you can believe in some sort of higher power elsewhere, believe whatever you want.
2: Even if you believe in science, because it's right. wired into our bodies.
3: That's exactly right. And it's reflected in the Second Amendment, the the state's version, which happens not to be the Second Amendment, so it doesn't much matter, and ourselves. With that, let's take a break, we'll be back. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, I am Robert Steinbuck, here with Hannah Webb Howard in the studio This morning, Friday, Hannah, we are, as we often do, talking about gun rights. We do so because of our mutual interest. We do so because we recognize that it supports all of of our other rights. Almost, I'm not sure, but does it matter? So, and we have talked a number of times about the Stand Your Ground law, and I don't want to be excessively repetitive, but i think it's now important to raise that issue again uh, in addition to having that wonderful forum that we did at the law school it really was terrific folks by the way pay attention uh, to dave's show when Hannah's on or when i'm on because we will make announcements about fora is it fora? forums forums at the law school i think technically it might be in uh, latin fora but forums in the law at the law school that deal with conservative issues, as hard as it may be to believe. I say that just generally about how academia tends to be left of center. We'll talk about that issue more in a moment, in fact. But our next uh, forum is going to be a presentation. Why don't you talk about this a little bit, uh, Hannah? We don't have a date yet, but let's put uh, Dave's audience on alert. For what should truly be a very interesting presentation, part of part of which I've already seen. And it's fascinating. Go ahead.
2: So Ed Monk, which he's been on the show a couple times, many times. Right. And his list of credentials is like too long for me to ever even remember. But let me tell you what, this guy, this guy knows his stuff. He's the real deal. And so I've actually gone to a class of his and he's great. Um, so he's
3: Ed's a firearms instructor. Yes, Let's yeah, make yeah, clear yeah. about what his credentials are, and he's form excuse me former military as well.
2: And so he's going to be coming to the law school, and we're going to open it, and we're going to open up to the law school, and then whoever else in the community may be open to it, and active shooter training. And so when I say anyone in the community, if you're a teacher, if you're a principal, if you're an administrator, if you're a church.
3: If you listen to this uh, show, meaning anybody who wants to come down, it's open to the public. Most of these, that's what I was saying, most of these forums are open to the public because these are educational. You don't need to be a lawyer. You don't need to be law enforcement. You don't need to be in education. Everyone benefits from learning these issues.
2: See, and that's actually true. Just side note, that's true for most forums that are hosted at the law school even if they are you know something that we don't agree with they are typically open to the public so anytime you see something at the law school and you don't agree with it i would still encourage you to go
3: you can learn something
2: honestly one of the best experiences i've had with a forum so far at school of course absent my own was a forum. nobody there agreed with me they they did what was it about it was the school-to-prison pipeline. They dissed Christians, with I am. They diss specifically Baptists, which I am. And it, basically, it was a school-to-prison pipeline, and me being a Caucasian Republican in the room, I was very much out of place. And I was very much to what they think is the source of the
3: problem. And, that's, know, a, and can,
2: that's a whole other conversation. Well, but, but
3: Can I tell you one quick uh, comment on that? I, I was talking with students, as I often do, and it's not the first time it came up, and someone said, "Well, that's a bunch of old white men." And I said, "You know, just FYI, maybe know your audience." I'm an old white man.
2: Yeah, so that and that's funny because people. It, it takes it generally it takes a lot to offend me. I don't. There are so many things in life I should take issue with, or I should be offended about. I don't care. I, I have so much more respect for you to tell me what you think than to play nice with me because i genuinely don't care but it's so funny how many times people will make like offhand comments and and this has been a new thing for me since i've been in Little Rock, in particular in law school and i'm just like yeah, if it was anybody else they would have taken huge issue with that it's just for the fact that i genuinely don't care and i and i respect your position because i'm sure there's several things that i could say offhand that you would be super offended by so beside the point that form itself was so educating for me because and i say this often if you don't reach out and try to understand what the other side thinks you can't beef up your own arguments yeah, i don't know the word it for doesn't
3: that. it doesn't help your position to be in an echo chamber yeah you know what your position is now you having a conversation with someone who agrees with you might give you additional evidence additional support so it's not without any merit but really, having a conversation with someone who disagrees with you, if, you, if it can be done in a uh, um, mutually productive way, is, is far more beneficial.
2: And I also hate the concept that if people agree with you on a certain issue, you can't be their friend. That's no, course, are you And you can't have some, like, come out of real—like, there are so many friends. And law, law school has been such an incredible experience for me. I have made so many friends who I guarantee if we sat down with a checklist, we wouldn't agree on a single political topic. But who cares? Exactly. Who cares? As long as we're open and honest and good friends to each other, what difference does it make? And and I also say that to say uh, the right tends to stigmatize the liberals as the cancel culture, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying that they aren't. But I say that to say it's not every one of them. Uh, not of at not. all. Not, not at all. And in my experience, I've had a wonderful experience with the other side. And they are genuinely open, welcoming people who... We may not sit around and talk about politics on a Friday night, but if we did, it would be a respectful conversation.
3: It's interesting that today in modern society, it's the left that is less tolerant of the opposing viewpoint than it is the right. I don't think that's always been the case. In fact, I'm confident it hasn't always been the case. But that's what's really remarkable. The left, which claims to be. One of claims to have is one of their virtues. Tolerance does not include the notion of political, philosophical or viewpoint tolerance. It really does not. Now, as you aptly say, Hannah, there are plenty of folks within the left that do exhibit that quality. And that's a great thing. But there are many who don't. You may have seen that uh, Chris Matthews was recently fired from MSNBC. And apparently he has some negative history there. And I don't know anything about that. Uh, And if they decided that that was warranted him being fired, so be it. Although I will note that that history apparently was somewhat dated. That doesn't make the behavior correct. But I don't understand where the realization of that dated history came about other than it apparently coinciding with his critique of Warren when Warren went after Bloomberg uh, for the alleged um, wrongdoing that he and or his company exhibited uh, regarding in particular female employees. And Warren said, well, you told an employee that she should abort her unborn child. And Bloomberg said, no, I didn't. And Warren came out and said, well, I believe her. Now, to be fair, Warren's allowed to believe her. Here's some questions for you. Did Warren actually ever speak to the person? No. It appears all evidence suggests the answer is no. So Warren got some information from the newspaper and decided that the woman was telling the truth and that Bloomberg was lying. A perfectly plausible outcome, to be clear. Right? There's only two possible outcomes. She's lying or he's lying or not telling the truth, meaning put aside motive. But one person's accurately describing the events and one person is not. Those are the only two possibilities. And she says, well, I believe the woman. Remember, that was a mantra sometime back and recently so of the left. Believe the woman. I've got no problem in believing women. I Obviously, believe, I don't either. <laughs> exactly. But the notion that that one's sex is the determining factor of truth, that's dangerous.
2: And let me tell you, so this topic in particular, it, it's one of these issues that people often look at me and like, well, how are you a Republican woman? Like, isn't that contradictory? And so the issue itself is really interesting because there are several things being a woman in the professional world there are several times and especially it may be especially true in Arkansas there really are times that people may not respect your opinion as much because you are a woman and I don't particularly think that's some bias against what it is a bias against women but I think it may be more of you know if their mother or if their sister if they if they did not enjoy the business world, they don't want to talk about that. They preferred to do what our stereotypical woman thinks. Well, then that male has never been exposed to a woman who has an opinion or who has that kind of personality. And so it's foreign to them. And, and that's true for everyone. If you weren't, you know, Little Rock was a culture shock for me coming from Paragold for a whole plethora of reasons. So same concept. And so I, so in situations like that, I think we might blame different factors of to why people do that so it's interesting when I tell people listen I I genuinely think there may be an issue with you know women in the workplace but maybe for different reasons but I also don't think men are evil and I don't and of course some men are some women are evil and it's it's a super interesting conversation especially I think for a Republican woman because we see both sides of it and It's a conversation that i like to have, and and it's a conversation I'd like to learn more about and what other people who may be on my side of the aisle feel like and what other people – and I typically know what people on their side feel about it, but maybe a more genuine, detailed, factual conversation with somebody about it because – and I'm sure most women listening who are in my position agree because – and oftentimes the conversation is we need more women to do this because we understand – The culture. And I also say that to say sometimes women are our biggest enemies. Sometimes we are more mean to each other than anything that we say that we suffer from men. And that's a conversation that I have a lot with other women. You know, women want to be in the workplace, but sometimes we want to be the only woman in the workplace. And it's just an interesting conversation. There's a whole lot of moving parts and there's a whole lot of dynamic. And it's interesting being a woman in this time because it all gets mushy. It all gets mushy.
3: Well, we're going to take a break in a, in a moment. Uh, but before that, uh, I think you raised some really important issues. And what's interesting about that, in addition to the substance of each of those issues, is the fact that we, uh, with Dave's audience, can have this conversation. Try having this conversation on MSNBC.
2: Exactly. And so the, and the thing is, I feel as though I can speak freely because I know you aren't going to come chastise me for saying, oh, you're just one of them. And I know there are people out there who are like, yeah, there is an issue. Yeah. Or maybe there's people out there who are like, yeah, I don't see an issue, but you know, I respect your opinion. And that's fine. It's it's a welcome audience.
3: Let's pick this topic uh, up right after we take this break. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck. Here in the studio with me is Hannah Webb Howard. Hannah, we, before the break, were talking about how The left and the cancel culture often prevents us from having meaningful conversations. Here's one of the things that you'll see on leftist media all the time. They will aptly make the claim that women, on average, make 75 cents on the dollar. That means when you compare the incomes of women in similar jobs to men over a lifetime, and this is the critical part, over a lifetime Women make less money. And so they say, well, you see, women are discriminated against, and that's why they make, for every dollar that a man made over a lifetime, a woman makes only 75 cents. Were you aware that of that 75 cents, uh, about 20 of them, meaning uh, 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 about 20 cents, reflect the fact that women drop out of the workplace, somewhat unsurprisingly, uh, to have children and raise those children? Meaning- If you adjust for the fact that women don't work 5, 10, 15 years of their working lives, if you adjust that number, women make about 95 cents to the dollar of men. That's not identical. There's still something going on there, generally known as statistical discrimination, and we don't need to get into the details of what that means, but it's something that is generally considered to be inappropriate. But 95 cents on the dollar is a lot better than 75 cents uh, on the dollar. And it's reflective of the fact that the left embodies a persona, a belief, and a cry that the sky is always falling, right? Uh, With climate change, oh, the the earth is going to crack in half in about a week and uh, and a half, right? We're going to go tumbling into the moon and then the sun in about three months. Uh, Women have been... uh, chained to radiators and are making 75 cents on the dollar uh, because that 25 cents reflects the pure discrimination. False. False, that is, by the way, as was the first one, of course, that President Trump, you see, if first of all, you can't elect him because he's going to destroy the world, you know, by destroy the world, uh, they apparently meant uh, increase the stock market and the economy by, what, 30% in three years, something like that, some dramatic number like that. Until the corona comes in the picture. <laughs> right, but, and that's one of those events that's going to decrease, depress uh, the market, uh, of course, because you'll have less interaction amongst people. Right, and I say that jokingly. Right, uh, and still, by the way, the market has uh, stabilized for now. Knock on wood, we'll see what happens. <clears throat> in any event, this is... The problem with the left, it's always the sky's falling, the sky's falling, and they. Uh, Hillary Clinton said, I wasn't elected because of misogyny. You know, by the way, I always enjoyed how the excuses for her failure to get elected rotate, right? There was, there was Comey, there was misogyny, there was the basket of deplorables. <clears throat> None of it was her responsibility, albeit recently she said something like, well, maybe I should have gone to those... Locations that actually voted against me. You think? you think? You know, she she broke the secret code to getting elected. Meet the people that are going to vote for you.
2: Well, and that was one of like the remarkable like landmark differences between her and Trump. And uh, what a lot of people credit his victory to was, I mean, he was pulling out all the stops in the thirteenth hour. I mean, he was getting on that plane at the last minute and making a last minute rally and going to those places and doing multiple in one day. And she just wasn't doing it. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well. And of course, then right thereafter, the left had to try to discredit the president. So it was for two plus years, Russia collusion and essentially saying that the Russians could buy for a few hundred thousand dollars, perhaps the election. And yet uh, Bloomberg spent half a billion dollars, half a billion with a B as in boy, half a billion dollars to uh, do a big belly flop into the pool, in part losing uh, because Warren took him the to task.
2: So I saw an interesting, it was like a little Fox News, so I'm assuming everybody got this, but it was a little Fox News alert that came up during the Super Tuesday. And it was, it, and I don't know that Bloomberg even got any more delegates, but uh, I get, he got the American Samoa. And they sent out a notification that said, "If this is all the delegates that Bloomberg gets, he paid a hundred million dollars for each of them."
3: Yeah, it's it's wonderful. What what's also hilarious is you know Bloomberg's very big in American Samoa. That's my little joke there. You know, very big, very big. Uh, in any oh event, um it's it it shows you that you can't buy an election. And part of the reason Bloomberg won, my belief is, he saw billionaire Donald Trump from New York. Uh, Win his primary and of course his general as well, and he said, "Well, if he can do it, I can do it."
2: He was going to be the Democratic version because and and there's some merit to that because it's going to take somebody as bold and empowered as Trump to beat Trump, and he was not that person, but I think he was trying to be. And something else interesting about Super Tuesday, I have so Biden won Arkansas, and I think he won Little Rock. I'm really not sure. I didn't pay. I didn't. I didn't particularly keep up with the statistics. I didn't talk to a single democrat that didn't vote for elizabeth warren and i mean that sincerely i have not talked to a single democrat and i talked to several that voted for anyone other than warren so it's, it's just interesting well it's it interesting, is interesting observation maybe
3: because you're in an academic environment a lot of academics liked warren because she is or was an academic she's generally what's wrong with academia today but we'll, we'll put that aside for a moment It's, going back to the point about Trump, here's what differs between Trump and Bloomberg. Yes, they're both billionaires. By the way, Bloomberg, much richer than Trump. But Trump didn't throw a lot of his money into the election. He didn't buy the election. Bloomberg tried to buy the election, and it became abundantly clear that you can't do that. And so, it's funny when you see these candidates like Bloomberg. Well, I'm from New York. Trump was from New York. Well, I'm a billionaire. He's a billionaire. Well, that's the magic formula. No, it ain't. Are you a billionaire from New York? Or are you going to run next? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm from New York, and I'm just missing one small piece, and that is the billionaire uh, status. So if everybody can please send me $1,000. We'll set up a GoFundMe. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, care of Dave Ellswick here at the... Now I see Zach already planning to pocket that money. Zach, keep your hands off my money. Uh, so, uh, we, you know, by the way, we're coming up on the break, uh, at, at uh, seven o'clock and I should have done a better job of announcing what time it is for those folks driving into work. So it's, it's about three minutes to seven and it's 46 degrees here in Little Rock. So it's still a little bit chilly, particularly given how warm it was, uh, yesterday, <clears throat> but, uh, at the top of the hour, we're going to have a, a special guest calling in. Your good friend Dan Sullivan is going to call in. So we're going to do a little post-election discussion because I do think it's important to acknowledge and recognize what went on in this last election, not only with Dan's race, although Dan's race really serves as a beacon for what happened across the state and what will happen going forward, I believe, and I hope as well, in terms of making sure our conservative values are reflected in the legislature. When I met Dan, and I described earlier in the show how we met, and as you say, I, I uh, what was it, I, uh, I um, insulted my way into a friendship, something along those lines. Uh, it, the point is that when I met Dan, Dan is everything that I look for in a legislator. Someone who's humble and someone who views the job aptly as what it is as a servant, as an employee of the people. When I hear elected officials say to us, oh, my job is to be a leader and I'm going to come in and lead you. Uh, You know what? I don't need a leader. I've got a leader. Can you guess who that leader is? That leader doesn't live amongst us in corporeal form. So I've got a leader. I don't need another leader. I need someone to follow my instructions. And it gets exceedingly hard to do in today's politics. So think about that as we take this break. Show. I am Robert Steinbuck here in the studio. It is 7 7 a.m. 45 degrees here in Little Rock as you all are driving into work. No doubt <clears throat> in the studio with me is Hannah Webb Howard, president and founder of the Second Amendment Society at the Bowen Law School. And am I right, Zach, on the line? We have with us Senator elect Senator. I'm just going to call it Senator Dan Sullivan. Dan, how are you? I'm doing just great, Robert and
4: Hannah. Good to talk with y'all.
3: It's great to have you on the air. And part of the purpose, of course, of the conversation is just to celebrate this wonderful victory for the people. And I mean that sincerely. It's a great accomplishment for you, no doubt. But I'm less concerned, I must be candid with you about that, than I am about how wonderful this is for the people of Jonesboro, Craighead County. And the state of Arkansas. Let's talk about the election. And at this point, we don't need to, as you're well aware, talk about your opponent as much as I want to talk about what your election reflects in terms of the desires of the people of not only your district, but of the state of Arkansas. What do we see going forward with you now as a senator?
4: Well, first of all, Robert, let me say that you know, we won because we trusted the people. And I think it, it really uh, sparked a chord with the people of Craighead County when I would go and sit in the bleachers, you know, go to church with, go to coffee shops you know, for months. Uh, we did that every day, every night, uh, and just went out and talked to the people to find out what they wanted. Uh, what are, what were their thoughts on issues, and really had true discussions. And I actually, as you mentioned earlier in the show today, uh, trust the people, and I think that's getting to be unusual now. Uh, many of our many legislators tend to trust uh, the lobbyist, whether it's the American Medical Society, one of the largest and most powerful lobbies in the state, the hospital lobby. Uh, people tend to trust just what they what they say and what they promote. And of course, they have a lot of money and they can promote their message a lot of ways. But when you sit down and talk to people and you find out what they think and what they want, it doesn't align with those large lobbying groups. And I think that's why we won.
3: I'm, I'm sure that's a part of why you won. And I say only part because I think another part that your humility uh, didn't uh, allow you to offer up is that you are able to connect with your constituents because you aptly recognize that the job of a legislator is to represent his or her constituents, to be a servant to them, not to be a director of them. And that latter notion, unfortunately, uh, comes to the minds of many legislators after they're elected. They believe that they are divinely appointed. They are not. They are elected by the people and for the people. And too often we see legislators and executives elected, and, well, actually in this state we elect our judges too, and judges, thinking that they are directing the people, not the other way around.
4: You have to take your cue from the people. Listen to them. Uh, And, as you say, represent them. I think that's one of the things that we did. And, you know, people uh, are asking now, what was the key? What was the key? How did you win? It was because we listened to the people uh, and just represented the people as you spoke. And, you know, often legislators do get down there. And you learn pretty quickly that you can get reelected if you just do what you're told by the powers in Little Rock, whether that's administrative powers, whether that's lobbying powers, because that's where the money is and you can get the money to get reelected, uh, and you can stay down there as long as you want. You just do what you're told. And it really didn't make a lot of difference to me if I got reelected. I knew what my core values were. I know what the core values of my community are, and my core values align with those of our community. And I was going to stand for those core values regardless. You know, we uh, we went, entered into this race, you know, it, it felt like uh, – it was me alone. You know, I decided. I thought this was what I wanted to do, and it became very apparent that you just can't run a Senate race with just a few people and by yourself. But when we expressed what our core values were, what we believed was the potential for our county, the potential for our state, and the pathway to get there, uh, you know, we had a lot of people come alongside us, and it was a victory for the people. You mentioned that earlier. And I, I can't think of a race that I've been uh, involved in personally where this, that happened to this extent. The people won here, and they beat some powerful, powerful lobbies and powerful people in the state uh, and beat them overwhelmingly. And I hope that sends a message, and I think you mentioned this earlier also. I hope it sends a message around the state that the people rule, I think that's part of what our country was founded on, wasn't
3: it? Indeed. And it's such a critical notion. I think it's so important when we see what what I see you as, what I call the reluctant elected official. And by reluctant, I mean not reluctant to serve, but someone who's not actively pursuing the position for his own self-aggrandizement. And too many elected officials do that. I remember I once was <clears throat> in law school you serve you you often work on a on a journal a publication, and then the next you do it first year as an apprentice essentially, in the next year they the outgoing members pick the positions of the uh rising members and they come and they talk to you and they say, "Well, we think you might be good for this position or that position, and then if you uh have the opportunity, you can choose amongst them." And someone said to me, well, you could have this position, which is a higher position on the board, or you could have this lower position. And I was interested in the lower position because it, the job function was something that interested me. I didn't care about the title. And the person couldn't understand this. But the other one has this other title. So I don't care about the title. Now, if you like that other thing, do the other thing. But if you like the yeah. thing that I like, do the thing that I intend to do, the thing that I like. And so when someone runs to be a state rep, when someone runs to be a state senator, or federal as well, or governor, whatever it may be, and they're interested in that title, I'm not interested in them. But if they're interested in the job, and with that comes the title or not, who cares, then that's the person that I want representing me.
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, of course, as a uh, state senator, uh, again, you just have to work with a lot of people. Uh, We had people knocking doors uh, and just coming to us. Can I knock doors? Can I make phone calls? Uh, You know, we had people of our faith community here in Jonesboro. And, you know, many churches in the South are very reluctant to get involved. And I understand that there's a a misconception in my mind about separation of church and state. But most people believe, you know, we want to have a, you know, keep politics out of church. And I'm respectful of that. Robert, we had people walk out of those church doors and then start knocking doors for us. Uh, They would walk out of church and start uh, making phone calls for us uh, just because of the shared beliefs that we have. And I think that's the the key to to our victory was it was a shared belief. It wasn't the belief of others. It was the belief that we all shared. Uh, And that's for the common good of our community. Uh, We're excited about it. It was a a great race, a hard race. Uh, you know, some said it was um, a little bit dirty, but you know that that doesn't bother me. You know, I don't. Well, I, do I don't
3: um, buy uh, we, it. I don't buy it because the claim of the the claim uh, th- that you describe, quite literally, quite literally, was you when you and your supporters, amongst them me, by the way, as you well know, I don't need to to tell you of that. Said, wait a second. Your opponent is saying that he supports X when he quite literally voted the other way. So if telling the truth about the opponent is as you describe, then so be it. But clearly it's not. And this is, you know, and I don't want to have to dig up all all the past. You had essentially a 60% uh, to 40% victory. So it's clear that your message came through. And truth matters. As I've uh, been known to say, including in your race, if you recall, truth matters. And the truth is that you were the conservative choice. And hey, so be it. Meaning if there were more leftists in Craighead County than there were conservatives, you wouldn't have won. I live in a district that's over that that would be very difficult for a conservative to run in because there are a lot of leftists. I'm not going to change my views because of that. But I'll either not run, or there's a good chance, should I have run, that I wouldn't be successful. So be it. But my views are my views.
4: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we uh, did a really good job of, is getting um, our message out there. What do we believe? And being very clear about that. And if we had differing views than our, than my opponent, we were very willing to talk about that. Uh, you know, here's, here's how he voted, here's how I voted, here's what he thought about those issues on record here's what I thought about those issues and when the people found out about that and we uh, they examined and we had a lot of people that did the research Robert and that's one of the things that I was so uh, thankful for and almost surprised at we would have people come by us uh, and say you know I've done my research I looked because I saw that you were saying one thing your opponent was saying another so I did my research on the votes Boy, you talk about something that's really encouraging It's to find out that the electorate is out there studying what your voting record is. And that ought to put a lot of legislators on notice also that, uh, you know, people are are watching what we do every day and every vote. And that's a good thing.
3: It's a wonderful Uh, thing. Part of it, uh, as you know, Dan, was that a number of these organizations that want to pursue political agendas – They want to pursue philosophies, approaches, put out scorecards. And you uh, ran the table on conservative scorecards. And what I mean by that is, look, if the um, um, Planned Parenthood put out a scorecard, you would get a lousy grade because you're pro-life. And you know what you would say? That's a correct grade. I am not uh, a Planned Parenthood supporter. So different groups – Of course, now let's look at the conservative groups like the NRA, and we'll talk about that. And by the way, upcoming on the show, after you're off, Dan, I think at the 8 o'clock hour, we've got the NRA rep calling in. We're going to discuss – yeah, the NRA's wonderful support for you. But the point is this is a tool for the constituents to learn about their candidates. Different groups put out scorecards, NRA, obviously gun issues, um, conduit for action uh, conservative financial, uh, values, uh, Americans for prosperity, similar conservative financial issues. And you ran the table, you ran the table because they accurately reflected your views. I'm not saying that some private organization couldn't get it wrong at some point. And then we would have to highlight that they made a mistake, but in this case, they got it right. And that's a tool for people to learn about their candidates. And they learned well about you.
4: Yeah, like you say, the information is out there. Uh, and it's so encouraging to see that the people, you know, again, the people rule. And if the people are uninformed, then it's very, then rule will be uninformed and government will be uninformed. Uh, so, you know, good. I'm excited that people are taking an interest. Listening to your show helps educate voters and Dave's show, you know, it helps educate voters on what the issues are that affect their everyday lives. You know, we listen to people as they talk, and, of course, taxes was incredibly important to people. They are really concerned about their taxes going up and going up. Uh, You know, the road tax that's coming up and the the amendment coming up. You know, uh, we are getting ready to to vote on whether we're going to give our money uh, to an unelected commission, and that unelected commission will then determine how to distribute the money around the state. Well, I tell you, I'm in northwest, Northeast Arkansas, and I'm very concerned that money, our tax dollars that we send to Little Rock, may not come back to Northeast Arkansas because a committee or a commission may decide it has better use in another part of the state.
3: And, Wait, you know, Dan, issues- Dan, are you suggesting that an unelected, unaccountable commission may not wind up representing the interests of the people? I find that virtually shocking. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. Dan, hold the line. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk to you about this very issue in just one moment. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. It is 725 in the morning, 45 degrees here in Little Rock. Excuse me, all in the studio. Hannah Webb Howard, president and founder of the Second Amendment Society at the Bowen Law School. On the line, Senator Dan Sullivan, state senator, Uh, I realize it's Senator-elect, Dan. uh, Good luck getting me to say that on a regular basis. As far as I'm concerned, you were a senator before even the election took place. So let's talk about this highway tax. As you aptly brought it up, it's really remarkable to me. It's downright offensive to me. I got to be honest with you. The notion that we would create a system wherein an unelected body uh, is guaranteed money Tax money from the electorate in the Constitution. Not that the Constitution says the ability to tax, the actual tax, there will be a half a percent actual tax built into the Constitution going to an unelected body to spend on highway matters. And if they don't do what we want them to do, it's sort of like the mall cop. You know what the mall cop does, Dan, when someone steals something from the Spencer gifts and he's running in the opposite direction, the mall cop screams out, stop or I'll yell stop again. Right. And that's how we as the people will be able to operate with this unelected commission, collecting billions of dollars over time from the elected. Stop spending our money in a way that we don't want you to or we're going to yell again. Stop spending our money in a way that you don't want us to.
4: Yeah, it's just unbelievable. And, you know, Robert, uh, I hope that message can get out there because, you know, the the Highway Commission now uh, is going around the state telling people that if you don't pass this tax, your roads will collapse. Well, that's absolutely not true. It's a lie. That power is vested in your legislature. And if the people rule, then the people need to tell their legislators We do want to be taxed or we don't want to be taxed or our roads do need to be fixed. And I think overwhelmingly we're hearing from the people that we need our roads fixed. Uh, How we go about that, there are ways to do that without raising taxes by going to our general revenue, as many other states do. Well, and of course, Dan,
3: as you aptly know, we don't even have that half cent tax in the Constitution yet, although they are collecting that tax now, but this notion that the world is going to come to an end if we don't build into the state Constitution a a lifetime tax to an unelected uh, bureaucracy belies history. What have we done? Just take the last 50 years. What have we done then? Do we not have roads? Have we fallen into the center of the earth? Is this a a Jules Verne novel? What is going on here with these? This is the typical leftist claim, as they have made with all things, right? Oh, well, the Earth's going to split in half in the next two months because of climate change, right? Everything is, oh, the world's going to come to an end because we're going going to enter into nuclear war because uh, we elected Donald Trump. None of these predictions of dire consequences have come true. That doesn't mean we don't plan for the future, But don't scare me into trying to make a stupid decision and giving power to an unelected bureaucracy with billions of dollars is exactly the wrong thing. As I mentioned on the air before you joined us, the famous quote that says democracy is the worst form of government next to all of the others. And so while giving the choice on how to spend our money to the legislature is going to certainly have its element of inefficiency you know what's worse than that giving that decision making to an unelected bureaucracy we've got less than a minute before we take a break and we're going to carry you over through through that break if you're available what's what's your thought on that in the last 20 seconds or so
4: absolutely right and we just need to continue to help get that message out to the people because we do not need an unelected Commission deciding where your hard-earned tax dollar go it needs to be to your elected official And if you don't like the decisions your elected official is making, you can fire them.
3: You mean the way that we fired one state senator to hire another state senator? I'm not going to use any names, Dan, where the second one is going to observe the will of the people. Think about that. We're going to take a break right now. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for David. It is 735 in the morning here in Little Rock, 45 degrees in the studio. Hannah Webb Howard, who is uncharacteristically quiet during our interview with Dan Sullivan, perhaps because I have not let her get in a word edgewise. Dan, we we're going to have to do something about that. But before we let her, I want to raise with you uh, an important issue that I touched on before the break. And that is... A number of good conservative organizations put out good scorecards, and one of them did a very important job, and that's the NRA, of course. And here's what I want to say about the NRA. At times, I've been critical of the NRA when I think they were a little slow to step up to the plate to do things. They are a large organization, and at times, they can demonstrate some bureaucracy. But at many other times, many, many other times, they do... Excellent yeoman's work, getting out there and informing the people as to who is the pro-Second Amendment candidate and who is not, the pro-gun rights candidate and who is not. And I am having later on the show the representative from the NRA to discuss what they did, to compliment what they did. But they really did a remarkable job in your election in demonstrating, in clarifying, in informing for and informing the electorate about how you have a history, a documented history of being pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment, and your opponent did not. How important was that in this election, Dan?
4: it's always hugely important when people uh, have a good debate. And, of course, the NRA, we've had debates about issues all along, but they stood up in this one, stood strong. Are um, what they stand for, you know their principles and what they stand on. Uh, and I was so thankful to see them uh, do what I think they should do, and organizations like that should do. Is you have your set of principles, and when people agree with you, you acknowledge that. When people disagree with you, you acknowledge that also. And it was hugely important that the NRA came out in this race uh, and just made their position known whether, again, it was for me or, or for my opponent, they just simply stated the facts. Here's what Dan's opponent is saying, and here's how what we think about that. And that was really important in our race, and I appreciate their uh, expressing that.
3: Well, and, uh, and as do I, and like I say, we're going to talk with the NRA rep uh, at the 8 o'clock hour. You came, Dan, of course, to the law school when uh, Hannah... Uh, w- was putting on, we were putting on the Stand Your Ground uh, forum for people to learn about that law. And I want to talk about that issue because obviously that bill is now going to pass. The one hiccup last term will no longer uh, be a uh, 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 something for us to overcome. So let's talk, you and I and Hannah, about what is Stand Your Ground And why it's common sense, yet important legislation for the people of Arkansas. Why don't you start, Dan?
4: Well, uh, again, it's all about our God-given rights. These are not rights given to us by the Sheriff's Association. They're not rights given to us by the Prosecutor's Association. They're not rights given to us by the mayors or the state government. It's a right given to us by God. Uh, So it's immensely important. And I appreciate the Bowen School of Law bringing us all together to have that conversation. So, Hannah, thank
2: you. Well, thank you for coming. Because again, we reached out to your opponent, and he did not come. Claim conflict interest. That's fine. But another thing to note about Dan time conflict, just yeah. By the way, yep. but but another thing to note about Dan is this is the only time he's come to the school to do something like this. And what people don't see is, especially the first time you came, I think you came to maybe a College Republican meeting. What I, it, it doesn't matter. The point being, you stayed after and we sat in a circle and you rolled your sleeves up and said to us, what are your concerns? What needs to change? And what is your opinion? Like you looked at us as law students and respected our opinion and our concerns and meant it. And the public doesn't see that. And so your involvement, especially with the younger generation, in my opinion, since I am the younger generation, sets you apart. From the rest, and that's a call to other legislators, listen, you've got to reach out to your young people because we're paying attention, and it matters to us.
4: Yeah, well, I agree. You know, as you mentioned that, I'm going to flip to a little bit of another issue, but, Dave, I mean, uh, Robert, right along what you talked about earlier, we were talking about um, the impact and, and talking to people in these groups that try to impact what we think. You know, the Amer- the Arkansas Medical Society, and the hospital association jumped into this race big time, a lot of money, big time, uh, a lot of things. This and that is another unelected body that's trying to force their will on the people with misinformation, uh, limited information. In the American or uh, the Arkansas Medical Society took out several ads, full page ads in the paper, telling people that you know, if Dan yeah. Sullivan gets elected. Uh, you know, uh, the medical field or the our medical hospitals and doctors—it's going to crash. Uh, Ar- they were t- saying Arkansas works will crash if Dan Sullivan gets elected. They were pulling nurses into meetings, telling the nurses that if da- if Dan Sullivan gets elected, uh, there'll be some of you lose your job. That you know, I have tremendous respect for our uh, medical professionals, our doctors, our nurses, and others. But this is the Arkansas Medical Society, who is one of the richest and most powerful lobbies in the state, putting out false information and misinforming the people. Uh, And people kind of looked at that and said, wait a minute, we know Dan. We know Dan's not going to throw us under the bus, whether those were employees, nurses, whether they are uh, constituents and people that need uh, medical care and can't afford it. They know me and I know them, Hannah, for just exactly what you were talking about because we sit down with them and talk with them. But those kinds of lobbies, particularly the American Medical Society and the health care, uh, I'm sorry, the hospital lobby, are spending millions of dollars all over the state trying to promote a system that even the governor has said cannot sustain itself without the work requirement. The work requirement is gone. That means Arkansas works in its current form is unsustainable. Everyone agrees with that, and everyone in the legislature knows it, everyone in the administration knows it, but they will not tell the people. We went out and told the people. This is unsustainable in its current form. The only way to sustain it is cut services or raise your taxes. And it just seems like every time there's a problem, whether it's a medical issue, Arkansas works, Medicaid expansion, highways. The only answer we consider is raise your taxes, raise your taxes, raise your taxes. And people are just about tired of that because there absolutely are other solutions. And the people are looking for legislators who will examine those other solutions in an open way and try to make better decisions.
3: Dan, you know what's really telling about this is, like any organization, we talked about a bunch of private organizations a moment ago that put out scorecards, and I I said that I thought that was a good idea. The Medical Association is a private organization, and they're perfectly entitled, as you well recognize, no doubt, to, to share their views. What differs about the Medical Association from, say, the NRA, for example is NRA pursues a policy goal based on their genuine belief as to what will make Americans, and in this case, Arkansans, better off. The medical associations pursue their financial interest. And when the financial interest aligns with the claimed political interests, I'm far more skeptical. And I believe, I'm confident that the medical association in Supporting your opponent was concerned about ensuring that there was government mandated. We love that word because it's appropriate here. Mandated money coming into their coffers. And that's why they supported be it your opponent or certain policies. I'm not interested in those organizations that put out scorecards or support candidates based on their private, personal, financial interests. And that's why, while this notion of evaluating scorecards or support by particular organizations is important, the electorate needs to be somewhat informed as to who's saying what and why.
4: Supported uh, scope of practice, and many people may not know what that means, but it just means letting nurses practice to the full scope of their licensure, training, expertise, and professionalism. The Medical Society has killed that every time. Well, guess what the health professionals nationally are saying now with the uh, coronavirus going around? They want us to do more telehealth. Our Medical Society has killed the telehealth bills for years, ever since I've been in the legislature. the uh, Nationally, the uh, national officials are saying, we need better access to care all throughout the state. expanding scope of practice allows that, and something like 27 or 28 other states do that, but the medical society has killed that every time, not only killed the bill, but killed any real public debate about that. They have the power uh, to influence legislators, and that's what they'll do. And I just encourage the people and your listeners to keep an open mind and start looking into this about the influence that an unelected, uh, group of people can have over what choices you make. And Dave, I'm sorry, Robert, to me, it also uh, makes, it's a huge point. If I want to, as a free American, if I want to choose to use telehealth, if I want to choose to use a uh, CRNA or an advanced practice nurse, if I want to make those choices, who is an Arkansas uh, Medical Society to tell me i can't that's exactly right it's my choice well and i hope that this session we can pass gun legislation and i hope we can get together and pass some of these uh hellation issues also whether it's uh uh, medicaid expansion uh or you know paying for that which we obviously can't do that the public will be informed about that and investigate it
3: that's exactly right dan telehealth is the single, the most important advance that we can make in medicine today. And that is, think about the model that we have right now, particularly with the coronavirus going on. What you do is you get sick, and then you go to a room filled with sick people with different diseases, and you sit around there. Because, by the way, your appointment is for when they want you sitting in the waiting room, not when you'll actually get care. And then after 15 minutes to an hour and a half, they call you in, to the second waiting room. That's also the exam room, but it's a waiting room. Because then you wait another 15 minutes to an hour and a half, and then the doctor comes in. Well, actually the nurse comes in and repeats all the questions on the form that you had to fill out in the first waiting room because apparently they don't believe you. And then they and then you sit there while they do secretarial work, inputting that data into the computer, something that can all be done when you're not there. And then the doctor shows up and then you get diagnosed, treated, whatever the case may be. Now, think about removing you from that sick environment and giving you the opportunity to get some treatment. Not all treatment, but some treatment electronically. We have all of these advances in technology, but somehow we use a 1950s model of medicine. And how good it would it be if you could get some treatment through telehealth? Now... There are certainly many circumstances, no doubt, in which the doctor needs to physically examine you. But think about all those times you've gone into the doctor's office and they haven't done so. And all of that can be taken place more cheaply and more safely through telehealth. So these are the types of technologies we need to explore. Dan, we're going to have you back for one final segment. Uh, so please hold the line. We're going to take a break now and we'll be right back. We're coming back. This is Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this Friday morning. In the studio is Hannah Webb Howard. It is 7.52 in the morning, 45 degrees here in Little Rock. We have our final segment with Senator Dan Sullivan. Dan, uh, we were talking before the break about how we need to ec- expand how we get medical treatment. On this final segment, perhaps we can talk about what is will be now Your old representative seat, I must be candid with you, I don't know what's going on up there in Jonesboro with that election. Can you let the people here in Little Rock, and I realize that people all over the state listen to this on Facebook, et cetera, but in particular, those folks outside of Jonesboro to know what's going on up in Craighead County with your now or soon-to-be vacant rep seat as you move into the senatorial position.
4: Well, sure. Let me throw one more thing out there Please. before we go there. Yeah. So, Robert, yeah. you know, the same thing is true of the Medical Society. It's also true of the Arkansas Education Association. Oh, yeah. You know, very liberal group uh, that is absolutely, uh, you know, my goal is to try for less regulation for limited government. And these groups like the Education Association, uh, the Medical Society, all of those groups are trying to limit your choices. They want your money. They want to reduce the choice that you have and just sit down and do what they say. So, you know, that was a huge win also for us. But on, as far as the race up here goes, there was a, it was a three-way race, uh, uh, Dr. Kolpeck. Uh, is in the race now in the runoff against uh, john milligan john is the mayor from lake city arkansas and again we just have an, uh, uh, an election now that the american the arkansas medical society is trying to drive and get one more doctor in the legislature who and of course the doctors have a uh, strong history of always voting for control by um the Medical Society, they continue to vote for Arkansas Works, even though it is unsustainable. And I think they they may have mentioned that in the budget hearings the other day, that it is unsustainable. And what do we do now? But here we have a doctor running uh, who does not, uh, isn't very transparent in his answers, but all the things we talked about, about deregulation, about telehealth, about scope of practice. About finding sustainable ways uh, to afford health care for our most needy. We have a doctor running again, and I just, again, I'm, I'm very suspicious uh, when we have the medical society entering into these races. Um, you know, you may have been familiar, it was in the paper, I guess, several months ago, about a uh, potential bribe that was offered uh, to. Um, you know, from uh, Dr. Peck's campaign, not from Dr. Peck, but from Dr. Peck's campaign, one of his workers offered uh, Mr. Milligan, uh, Mayor Milligan, uh, a bribe that Mayor Milligan turned down. Good. Uh, supported the ethics. That yeah. he turned
3: it down, then. It's not that the other guy uh, yeah. offered a bribe. I do vaguely remember that. What what what, what 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 exactly happened there? Well, you know,
4: there's a series of text messages that went across just saying, you know, if you will, Mayor Milligan, if you'll drop out of the race and support uh, Dr. Peck, then we'll help your uh, daughter get a scholarship to you know, the school she is going to.
3: You know, and the it, Attorney Dan, General's
4: I, office is. It, you know, it just, let me just it, this, and I'll yeah, let you know. The Attorney General's office said they'd investigate, and it's been months, and we haven't heard anything. Uh, and we'd just like to hear before the people go to the poll and vote for their next state representative. You know, what is the position? What really did happen? What are the facts? Because we don't know. And I would hope uh, Dr. Peck would come out and just tell us what he knew about it uh, and make that public. I think the electorate deserves to know all the details about that. You know, Dr. Peck's final statement in that issue was, let's, let's uh, you know, I didn't have anything to do with it. Let's put it aside and talk about uh, what's important in northeast Arkansas. Well, I'll tell you what Dave, as you know we've got several Dave Robert, I'm sorry
3: that's all right as, as i should I should be so confused
4: as, as we continue that as we come to an election, people just need to know uh, what the facts are so they can make an accurate uh decision so that's that's kind of the detail of what happened, but it's going to be a close race up here, and uh you know uh, people just need to know the facts and know who's involved in it, what's going on.
3: Well, I think you're exactly right. Dan, because it's so important that we ensure that this type of cronyism that is described by this um, purported act of bribery be cleaned out of our system. I am so tired of the the elite, self-appointed elite telling us who should run, who should not run. They sit around in their smoke-filled rooms saying, well, now it's the time for so-and-so to run for office. And so, hey, we'll pay you off not to run so we can put our crony in and your time will come. If it does or does not, who knows? And that's one of the issues that we all ran against. I mean that collectively through the will of the people in not only your election but a lot of these primary elections that took place just the other day, and that was the statement that the people are going to decide who wins right. what election. It's not going to be decided by some big muckety-muck saying, this is the person that you should vote for. The, the people decided because the people's will is what should and does count. And in Arkansas, amongst other places, mind you, but nonetheless, in Arkansas, I've still see too much of these muckety-mucks, these elitists sitting around telling us who should be the candidate and who should be the winner, and I'm not interested in that. And luckily, that's not how the system ultimately operates, but we have got to continue to push back when the elitists look down their noses at us and tell us the way we should live, for example, and we're going to talk about this in the next session, we didn't talk about it with you that much, but we, of course, will continue this conversation going forward for years to come. How the elitists in their gated communities chauffeured around in their limousines with their private protectorate, as Bloomberg suggested before he dropped out of the race, believe that they're entitled to protection with people with the very guns that they want to prohibit you and I from owning because, you know, we're just the masses. We're just the plebs. We're just the pawns. We get thrown into the ditch. We don't count. Well, you and I and Hannah and Dave's audience don't believe that. So I'm glad. Robert, go ahead.
4: Yeah, let me just jump in for you. I know Please. you got to close, but yep. you know we really need for the attorney general's office to step in here. Because what good does a decision uh, or an opinion have or decision have after the election? It's almost meaningless. And we really need the Attorney General's office to step up and come out with some kind of decision over what's happened up there in in District fifty three. Well, I, I agree it's, with it's you, Dan. I'm gonna to have to cut electric. you off.
3: I hope we hear something and it was a pleasure having you on. We will talk with you soon again. Thank you. <laughs> Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this Friday morning. It is about seven minutes after eight o'clock in the morning, 48 degrees here in Little Rock. And Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, but that blinking light suggests to me that we have on the line Matt Harriman from the NRA. Matt, how are you? Good morning, Robert. How are you this morning? I'm doing very well, thank you. I wanted to have Good. you on the show today uh to talk about really the outstanding work that you all at the NRA and you in particular by the way amongst others I don't mean to take away any praise from others as well did in particular in the election with Dan Sullivan and I've told you privately and I've said on the air look at time from time to time I think the NRA um uh could do things that I would prefer personally Uh, more or differently. I don't say that as a critique. I say that to to say the very obvious notion that every group has its interests and they don't align with every individual at all times. But the flip side of that is the NRA is overwhelmingly on the side of the people en masse when it comes to core gun issues. So, Much like when people would say about me, Rob, I think you get this or that wrong from time to time. Uh, I like it when people say, but most of the time I agree with you. And guess what, Dan? Most of the time I agree with you. And you guys stepped up to the plate. And I want to take just a moment before we even start our conversation to say how important and how praiseworthy the actions of, of the NRA were in this particular election, no less, for the Craighead County election of dan sullivan i don't know whether we could have gotten it done without you that's how critical that input was and to be clear what was that input getting out the truth getting out the message that's right so talk about that for a moment if you can
1: well robert I, i i appreciate those comments very very much i think really uh what what this election showed was Uh, The the true power behind the NRA, which is our members and supporters, uh, because they are uh, highly motivated people. They're well-informed, and they are truly single-issue voters. And in this race, they had a clear choice uh, between uh, the incumbent, Mr. Cooper, and uh, Dan, who had a strong voting record with us, was an A-rated candidate. And... uh, our, our members listened and 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 knew the facts and they drowned out all of the noise of 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 uh, the the other side and uh, they they sent a very clear and strong message uh, in the ballot box, which is what matters at the end of the day
3: that's exactly right, and everybody acknowledges the strong role that the nRA had in this election. nobody denies it the uh, Dan Uh, happily uh, thanks you and applauds the actions of the NRA pushing hard at the end of the election. Uh, Dan's opponent said, yep, the NRA undoubtedly had a strong effect. And many other folks in important positions across the state recognize that important role that the NRA plays. And what I, I don't know if you caught any of the last um, segment, and it's not important that you, whether you did or not, but I brought out what I think is an important notion. When you have a group like the NRA whose goal is to, to communicate ideas, whose goal is not to lobby for some financial self-interest, the members and those uh, at the NRA are not lobbying to get money directed towards them. If we pass, for example, Stand Your Ground, which we will – now that Dan mm-hmm. is elected, nobody gets rich off of that. The, the purpose right. of promoting that is to empower the people in this regard, in this instance, for self-defense. But ultimately, yep. the broader notion is the same. It's about individual self-empowerment. And ultimately, that's the goal of the NRA, is it not?
1: It is. It's ex- and it's really an expansion of freedoms. Uh, the expansion of, of our members and Second Amendment supporters' rights to bear arms and defend themselves. And so, at the end of the day, uh, you know that that's, that's who we listen to are, are our membership. They they're the ones paying the dues and and frankly, you know, fighting the battles uh, on on the ground level. And and I know we had members, particularly in in uh, Senate District 21, who were who were actively uh you know supporting supporting Dan and we're very active in this race and that's what our members do they're as i said they're they're highly motivated and and they're very active and and i think people know hey they they get out and vote um they they want their voices heard and so they show up to the ballot box and so i think uh you know as we even go into this fall people are going to be looking to to us to see who in and, and even these general election races who we are going to be supporting because in this day and time with uh, with groups uh, that are funded by Mr. Bloomberg, uh, it's it's important that we stand up and, and defend our rights in the ballot box, particularly.
3: That's exactly right. And you highlight a very important point, Bloomberg uh, and Ma- his group, Moms Demand Action. And I forget the name of the other, yep. our town, I think it is. Um, every town. Every town. Right. Thank yep. you. What? In all seriousness, uh, uh I know what Mom's Demand Action is—an anti-gun group. Is Everytown also? Is that their sort of general platform? Is it gun issues?
1: Yeah, I think yeah. they're. I think town's the larger umbrella, and Mom's Demand is kind of their lobbying arm, oh, I see. Uh, if you will. But both right. both, both funded and and uh, controlled by Bloomberg.
3: Right, right. And and to be clear, this is not a slight. Meaning. That's open. Bloomberg has said so. He said when he was during his short run for the presidency that that, that's his group and he's put a lot of money into it. And by the way, to be fair, he's perfectly entitled to. And there are people out there who are anti-gun advocates. We know that they are. We oppose their viewpoint, but they're entitled to spread their word. And this is what I was saying earlier about having different groups uh, put out their scorecards. I would want to score negatively, to score low On a mom's demand action scorecard. And inversely, of course, score high on an NRA scorecard. So they are entitled to their voice as long as we all recognize what they're saying and what we recognize what the NRA is saying. A mom's demand action candidate wants to get an F from the NRA, don't they? But the difference is when you have a candidate, and this is the dangerous part, who claims to be pro-gun, but really is not only secretly but is openly meeting with mom's demand action well then guess what you're going to get a good score from mom's demand action but you're getting an F from the NRA
1: I think that that's a that's a great point that you make there and I think you know Senator Cooper didn't quite understand his F rating and and this discussion has a lot to do with it uh you had a guy who not only killed a signature piece of of our membership's uh, legislation, but he cozied up to a group that, um, you know, is just completely, uh, you know, does not stand for anything that we stand for, wants, wants to take our rights a- away completely. Um, and, and he was not shy about it. And so this is This is an issue that that there's kind of there's not this like warm and fuzzy middle ground. You either support the Second Amendment and believe it says means what it says or you don't. And, uh, you know, when we have candidates that kind of try to put their feet in both camps, uh, that's a that's a clear message to us that we have somebody that who who is not going to defend uh, our Second Amendment rights and, and that we can no longer trust. Uh, i mentioned that to Dave when I was on about a month ago that, um, you know, outside of, of, of that vote, uh, you know, him cozying up to Moms Demand Action sent a clear message that this guy was not someone that we could trust any longer. And so we wanted to make sure our members were informed of what was going on and uh, in turn uh, sent that message at the ballot box.
3: Yeah, and, and, and honestly and openly, meaning – if you're a leftist and you got an F rating from the NRA, you might say, "Look, I got an F." In fact, I think people like Bernie and all these other uh, leftist candidates in the Democratic presidential primary openly say that they get poor grades from the NRA. Meaning, that's truth in advertising. You're you're right. anti-gun, and you and you point out quite aptly, it's not really. There's not much of a middle ground. Maybe I, I don't know, but meaning, I don't know if the, I could conceive of something that's a middle ground. Position, But generally, no. Either you're pro-gun rights or you're anti-gun rights. What, what is it? You can carry an unloaded weapon or carry half a gun? That doesn't really exist, right? So there, the, the so-called middle ground seems to be a very narrow path, no doubt. And you guys aptly pointed out, uh, as you say, this signature piece of legislation, Stand Your Ground, which is really, if I may just opine for a moment, it's a basic notion the, the claim, uh, the, excuse me, the law has been and persists to this day in a minority of jurisdictions, including Arkansas. Let me repeat that. A minority of jurisdictions, yet Arkansas is amongst them, say that if you are attacked with deadly force, you have to look for an opportunity to run away before you try to defend yourself. Why would we create such a rule? Why should it not be? that you have the right to defend yourself once you're attacked with deadly uh, force. Say a few words on that if you can, uh, Matt.
1: Yeah. I mean, stand your ground literally just means that it, it gives you the ability uh, if you have a reasonable belief that you're, you know, facing death or, or, or serious uh, physical injury that you're going to have the ability to stand your ground. It, it, this, this piece of legislation would have allowed victims the ability to fight back and resist immediately uh, to give themselves a fighting chance in situations where they, they felt like their life was being threatened. Um, there, there, this, this was not a, <laughs> as Mr. Cooper said, uh, this was not a way to legalize murder. Uh, that That is just asinine, uh, not true. And, uh, you know, as you've you've already uh, duly noted, this this bill is going to pass next session because we now have a champion amongst many other champions in the state Senate uh, and in the state House. And and mind you, uh, this is somewhat shifting gears, but, Robert, we actually 100 percent of our uh, endorsed candidates won on Tuesday night. I, I do think That's one fantastic. of them may be going, may be going to a, a runoff. To runoff, right. Uh, we we also – there was another race uh, up, up in kind of the Benton area that was an open primary, uh, which, as you probably know, we don't typically endorse in open primaries. Um, but uh, we we took the time and, and did a lot of due diligence, and we endorsed Mr. Tony Furman over uh, Mrs. McClure because that was another situation where we kind of felt like um, – the evidence was clear uh, that Mrs. McClure was was likely someone that was, you know, on paper, uh, you know, checking all the right boxes. But publicly, there was some things that, um, you know, seemed a little head scratching. Um, and so we we kind of went out on a limb and endorsed Mr. Furman. And I think he won like sixty one thirty nine or something wow. like that. Wow. Um, so, so it was a great night. Uh, in Arkansas for for our membership.
3: That's fantastic. Hold that thought, Matt. We'll take a quick break and we'll bring you back for the next segment. Thank you. This is the Dave Ellsworth Show. I am Robert Steinbuck. On the line, we have Matt Herman from the NRA and we're going to finish up this segment with you, Matt. We've got about six minutes. Matt, we were talking about Stand Your Ground and how important a, and simple a bill that is and how mm-hmm. Arkansas is going to be on the right side of that law come the next legislative session. What are you all at the NRA? What other laws, either to stop or to promote, are you all looking at these days, obviously regarding Second Amendment slash gun rights issues?
1: Obviously a big one right now, frankly, across the country, are uh, red flag laws. Uh, we've, we are seeing those, I mean, even in the most pro-gun of states. I also cover uh tennessee and louisiana i call tennessee uh, nashville home uh and uh we we have bills filed here and in louisiana uh, around red red flag uh thankfully in 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 states like arkansas and tennessee and louisiana they're mostly dead on arrival but off, you know sometimes you know some uh, you know, uh, more moderate Republicans want to kind of give those some legs. But I, I would say red flag is probably top of that list, um, assault weapons bans, those those types of things. Uh, but we are working diligently um, from Maine to Hawaii and um, in, in state capitals across this country to, to fight back against, uh, you know, these these gun control measures um you know to to keep uh, our our membership uh keep keep their rights in place
3: this th- these red flag laws as you well know but let's discuss for a moment for the audience the big p- problem with the red flag laws is it's essentially a law that seeks to take away one of your rights your second amendment rights without due process and of course yep. if you have That's a right, right by definition you are entitled to due process <clears throat> meaning That the, you know, we do take away people's rights from time to time. We put them in jail. Well, guess what? When we put people in jail, we take away their rights and we give them due process. So uh, I have not delved into deeply yet. I intend to, mind you, the red flag laws. But it strikes me that under current law that someone's gun rights can be taken away with due process, is that not the case? And, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but it strikes me that under existing law, uh, much of this can be addressed and potentially, and I don't know, uh, under new law, as long as the due process issue is addressed. So educate me a little on this issue.
1: Well, so I don't know specifically what the current laws are in, in Arkansas necessarily. Fair enough. Around this, but I will say, many many states do already have processes in place uh, to address, frankly, what these red flag laws are, um, are trying to 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 get at. And I know Tennessee, we we already have a strong and effective civil commitment law in place. So they, I mean, there's literally no reason to have something like this. But you're right in saying that. With many of these red flag laws across the country, there is absolutely zero due process, and I mean, it, it's absolutely insane. I mean, you could have an ex-girlfriend from 20 years ago reach out to law enforcement and say that you're just nuts, and, and then you could be tied up in a legal battle for the next year to get your rights back. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd, uh, and, but, but that's happening across the country, and uh, it's, it's scary.
3: Well, indeed, and the scary part, or perhaps a scary part of it, is that the left will couch it in such benign terms. Oh, well, this you see, what we're doing is we're just making sure that someone who is unbalanced, imbalanced, I don't know what the right word is, maybe maybe that's because I am uh, one of those two, I say jokingly to be clear, uh, that we need to take away this person's Uh, uh, gun rights. Oh, it's all temporary. Oh, don't worry about it. And of course, a lot of that is just directly false, right? That is that without sufficient due process, an accusation can be made and then someone's inherent right, guaranteed right, is removed and then we put the onus on that person to reestablish that right. And of course, that turns the law on its head and it's reminiscent of something I said much earlier in the show today, which is when Elizabeth Warren said about the accusation against Bloomberg that he told somebody uh, to abort her child that when Chris Matthews asked her about that, Chris Matthews said, well, how do you know who's right? And she said, well, I believe the woman. You can believe a woman in a situation or the woman in situations, but – Her statement wasn't that. Her statement was, I believe the person based on their sex alone. Well, that's the epitome of a lack of due process, and I find Mm -hmm. that highly disconcerting. And it's that very attitude that translates over here that the accusation becomes the conclusion itself. How dramatically yeah. dangerous is that? We've only got about a minute or so. Zach will give me the, the hand cue. Uh, but give me your thoughts on that last point as we wrap up our wonderful conversation.
1: Yeah, it's 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 very dangerous, a very dangerous and sticky situation. And, and I mean, ultimately, these things just boil down to what, what we've been talking about is due process. And so uh, we have not seen a single one of these uh, laws red flag laws that that has included due process and there's a reason for that because they're ultimately designed to uh you know go down this path of gun confiscation it's kind of the first step towards that path and so they don't really care that there's no due process involved indeed matt i think you're right on the money i'm gonna have to
3: cut you off right now This is the Dave Ellsworth Show. I am Robert Steinbach. Chris Corbett has joined us in the studio. But before we go on to our conversation with Chris, I want to say that we have on the line and and joining us right now is Senator Alan Clark, who has just won his primary election. I was up or out there uh, campaigning with him just before uh, the election here the other day. And, Alan, it's a pleasure to have you on the line, and it's also a pleasure to see how overwhelmingly you won that primary election, lest there be any doubt that you have the support of the people for your continued great work in the Senate and, in particular, as chairman of the Judiciary Committee. How are you today? I'm
5: great, Rob. How are you?
3: I'm doing so very well. So talk to us a little bit about the election and perhaps more importantly, what you see going forward in the next several uh, legislative sessions with your position as senator and your position as chairman of the Judiciary Committee.
5: The, uh, you know, every session, uh, <laughs> I think, is a surprise, but the I will be working on uh transparency in child welfare courts which is something that georgia minnesota and texas among others have done with great success Uh, and uh, just better for everyone all around better results for kids and families Um, i think we've got to look at uh, prisons again uh, and uh, and also our county jails and reimbursement we're going to put state prisoners in county jails uh, making sure that Counties are not bearing the burden of that. Um, and, you know, there's this, uh, we've got to stand your ground, of course, we'll be coming back. Um, hopefully we'll pass that uh, this uh, next year. Uh, so there, there'll be a wide array of things, I think.
3: Alan, I was, of course, looking over your votes and your bills before I came out to campaign with you because I need to be informed if I'm going to do that. And one of the things that I saw that you had done, and remind me, by the way, if this was a bill or it became an act, but in any event, This notion that prosecutors need to have an open file policy in which they turn over all of the records, meaning that they don't screen what they determine the defense is going to judge as exculpatory or not, because it historically has just led to such a surge of problems and fights after the fact, including having – Uh, convictions overturned when we would not like those convictions overturned. So this is not a pro-defendant. This is not a pro-keep-people-out-of-jail idea. This is not uh, right or left. This is right or wrong. Can you speak a little about that notion?
5: Yeah, I think it's just a justice issue. Uh, I mean, I know of cases going on. I know, uh, as you know better than I, cases where uh, there was exculpatory evidence. Uh, there's cases that I've been familiar with in the last year or two, personally, that I thought there was exculpatory evidence that was not handed over. And the prosecutors said they didn't think it was exculpatory. Uh, and then, like you said, you have cases where people were rightfully convicted, and then it gets overturned for these reasons. And so just matter of, of basic justice, I think. And, of course, you're more of an expert on this than I am.
3: Well, I'll say this. Of all the people that I've met serving in the legislature, you have the most innate sense of justice. I mean that sincerely. That is, yes, I'm trained as a lawyer, but it also takes something internal in a, in an individual to have a sense of justice so that they're not pushed around by lobbying groups saying, oh, you got to do this or you got to do that. And I know as a fact, for a fact, that Alan Clark listens to everybody, but has a good justice meter, shall we say, so that you do the right thing. And that's so important. We were talking with Dan Sullivan earlier in the show, and he aptly pointed out how his election is not a victory for Dan Sullivan. It's a a victory for the people of Craighead County and a victory, of course, for the people of Arkansas. And I say the same thing about you because this isn't about Alan Clark. Alan Clark doesn't need to have the name senator, uh the title senator in front of his name. He is here. You are here to do what you believe is the right thing and I believe – uh that your views coincide with those of the people. So I really appreciate when you say it's a justice thing. That's exactly right. And I'm tired of people having checklists. Oh, uh, well, this is what the conservatives do. This is what the, the leftists do. Now, of course, we can have uh, notions of what is left and right. But what's more important than that is what is right and wrong. And you really do that.
5: Well, thank you. Well, and I think you're exactly right. Uh, it's right or wrong, not right or left. You know, I have uh, conversations on a regular basis with the ACLU. You know, one of the first times we right. met, I chewed on them. But, uh, and the reason I chewed on them is because, in my opinion, they uh, they crusade for some justice and not for other justice. Sometimes for what I would call liberal left justice versus justice on the right. And, and we had some very good conversations on that, but they also had some good ideas on justice. While we disagree on lots of things, uh, they had some ideas where we had some injustice that I I thought were important. And uh, so you're right. It's not, not right or left. It's right or wrong.
3: Good for you.
0: Senator Clark, I got a great point on that. Um, in those in that open file policy, what you're talking about, a lot of uh good criminal defense attorneys send a FOIA request to get public records about a police stop or something that happened out in the field that never make it into the prosecutor's file. The prosecutor's file. And it's it's a beautiful thing when you when you find a recording out there that wasn't turned over by the prosecutor. And you've got a you know, an outstanding discovery dispute out there and a and a misdemeanor or a felony offense and And uh, so that that open file policy and uh, your reform on criminal justice is right on. I mean, right
5: on. Another justice issue that, uh, you know, that my friend Dan Greenberg made me aware of probably my first session, you know, is the uh, what's the word where we uh, take property and drug
3: Oh, civil asset forfeiture.
5: Yeah. yeah. And you know, when it comes back to a dollars and cents, it always comes back that if you're if you question this, that you're against funding the drug task force. No, we're very much for funding the drug task force. And I think and I think the civil forfeiture uh, in those cases where where you have true drug dealers except is a good thing. But the but when you have people that get hurt who aren't drug dealers and and people or there at least is there is no. There is no plea. There is no um, uh, co- conviction. Uh, you, we do some very questionable things. And and the fact that we do it right most of the time doesn't do away with the fact of the person who suffers that injustice. And we, we we should do everything we can to do away with uh, injustice, especially in a criminal system where you're innocent until proven guilty.
3: Nice. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, this is such an important notion we as conservatives have to continue to push because there is a vein in some conservative groups, but not in true conservatism that, well, we're, we are uh, pro defense, pro um, putting the criminal in jail. And of course we are pro that, but what we're not pro is violating people's civil liberties and violating people's due process uh, because fascism is just as evil as anarchy and perhaps worse in some respects because it's run by the government. It's even more overwhelming. And so true conservatives understand this, understand the danger of too big a government as well as the danger of anarchy. And your commitment on these issues demonstrates and this is not, by the way, this is not the Alan Clark fan club radio show, but it's important to highlight that your commitment to these issues demonstrates and embodies what true conservative is, conservatism is about and should be about, and only by standing up and stating our beliefs openly, there's nothing hidden here, will we ensure that the rights of all citizens are protected, be it First Amendment, Second Amendment, uh, self-defense, all of those things. Alan, we're, b- uh, before we let you go, say a few final words to Dave's listeners about how your election went and what that means to you.
5: Thanks, Rob. Uh, and I should point out that you know I and others can lead if we didn't have lots of great people in the legislature. To vote and to and to support us on these things, we have a lot of people who feel the same way. The uh, but we won. I won with over seventy five percent in Garland uh, County, my home, Saline County, and Grant County, and um, and won Hot Spring County. My opponents' uh, home with fifty four percent. So we uh, felt very very good about the results. I think it was a resounding. Idea that yes, you're doing the right thing. You're doing you're doing a good job, and you know without patting myself on the back, it just you know that's what election results show. It doesn't matter you know if I was looking at somebody else's, you'd say okay, this guy has support, and uh, and of course now we'll continue through November. I have an election in November, and the voters will have to say the same thing then. Um, I believe they will. I mean we we will campaign and work, but I believe that they will say the same thing in uh, November, and then we'll come back uh, and do the people's work. Exactly.
3: Alan, it's such an honor and pleasure to have you on the show. I look forward to talking with you more offline, and I look forward to working with you in the legislature, not as an elected official, but by somebody who freely, perhaps too freely, shares his views. Alan, thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you again soon. Zach, let's take a break now. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Stein McFilling, and for Dave, this Friday morning, it is 849 a.m., 48 degrees in Little Rock. In the studio for the last segment is Chris Corbett, attorney, professional engineer, master plumber, and all-around good guy, Chris you have been actively involved in this political campaign, as I have, for all of these outstanding candidates. You've been working actively with, for example, Dan Sullivan, amongst many others, right. to ensure that we elect conservatives. We, You know, it's now our opportunity to say a few good things about what has happened. What are your I, thoughts? I'm ecstatic. What a
0: great day in Arkansas for Dan Sullivan, Alan Clark, uh, the NRA. Uh, it's just fantastic to be sitting here and... And knowing that they've won their primaries and, um, you know, Dan's going to be un, unopposed in his, in his general election. It's fantastic.
3: Indeed. Indeed. It's,
0: it's just outstanding. I'm ecstatic. Indeed. And uh, to hear that we may you know get this stand your ground law passed. And these are these are fundamental rights. These are fundamental rights. And um, to see uh, uh, the, the former Senator Cooper now, he's gone. I mean, he's out. Well, he still's got a few months left. But oh, nonetheless, yeah. your point is yeah. well taken for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, just on a basic premise, let's just look at basic principles. Are you are, are basic principles? Are you restricting someone's right? Are you tightening the screw on someone's freedoms? Are you giving the government more power to come in and scrutinize your behavior, your speech, your your right to you know f- you know practice what and do what you want in your own garage? I mean, come on, man. These things are basic. Just basic. It, does it does it impinge on my freedom
3: or not? Does it's really it, a wonderful test, Chris, that you articulate. That is, uh, as a true conservative, you are concerned about infringement on your inherent, some say, including me, by the way, God given rights. And so right. that is that should always be the litmus test, so to speak. Do oh, oh, you have I a litmus test? test? Yeah, I got a litmus test. The litmus test is freedom. Right, freedom. Right, freedom. And then and then for someone to to, to vote
0: on one issue. Want to take one issue to the ballot box, like Matt was saying with the NRA,
3: perfect. Well, because it's such an embodiment of our broader freedoms. Yeah. I can't defend myself. What other freedoms do I need if I can't defend myself? Oh, man. It is a core function. As you know, uh, uh, as Dave's listeners know, and you know, I have been actively pursuing you to run for office. You and have. I, uh, indeed. And as you well know, you have yet to make a formal decision, but you are considering it. Is that fair I, to say?
0: I, I am considering it because you, you can only do so much with one client, with one court case. If if we can have litigated so many of these laws now and you look back and go, how did this law get passed? And you start paying attention, You know, maybe maybe I could make more of a difference in the legislature. Um, and, and the factors consider, impact on family, impact on my job, I've still got to go make a living. And um, I've been making. Wait, 11. wait! You weren't
3: born with a silver spoon in your mouth? I don't understand. <laughs> no, your you, your daddy didn't give you a job that you grew up in making uh, millions of dollars. No, my dad
0: well, trained me well, and I, I've had. Uh, you know, one year I had had nine W W-2s One year is that right? That's crazy. But but I had because I had to work around jobs. Right. I had to work around other jobs. I Had to work around school. Um, I was still paying on student loans. Uh, my, my law degree cost me sixty grand. And uh, fortunately, that, that that school loan's around one point eight percent, I think. But, I'll take uh, it. Yeah, I'm paying back with with inflation. I'm paying it back with money that costs less, right? Right. That's the way. But um, but yeah. what were some and, of the jobs you had along the way? Oh man, I've still got my CDL. I was a trash a truck, truck driver. Truck driver. Yeah, and, it, and it's helped me out at the block company where we manufacture concrete block. If I need to jump into a um, a class B uh, sixty eight thousand pound truck and 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 deliver some block, I can do it.
3: I think they need to get you the Class A. We need to get you working for a living.
0: <laughs> hey, let me tell you something about that. Some of these new Class A tractors, when I say tractor, the, the, the CDL drivers out there know what I'm talking about. The big about. 18-wheeler. Right. They're automatics. Really? Yeah. So you just stomp on the gas and go.
3: Well, you still got to know how to turn that thing well, on true. a pivot.
0: But it's the big thing is the right. standard, right? I, see. I mean these things have, you know, 12 gears. Is that right? And, oh yeah, they got a switch on the on the gear shift that goes from the first six to the second. Really? Right, I didn't even know that. These 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 CDL drivers are skilled. Yeah. And um it's a skilled thing that they're doing it. Their job is tough they're out there delivering block and um you know and I learned you, on a trash truck, a rear load uh, you were, you,
3: so you were you were a trash man.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I, I didn't ever drive the front loaders. I always okay. thought the front loaders were cool. Right. Matter of fact, they made fun of me when I dumped a I dumped a, a can without opening up the lid on the top. I dumped the whole. So what yard. happens? Oh, you dumped the whole trash on top of your truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Love it, love it. Yeah, you made only made
0: that it. mistake once. Uh, no, they made fun of me for years. There you go. They did it on purpose. Like here, go, go yeah, go ahead, do it. Yeah, because you have to, you have to drive the truck. You got to stick those forks right in those little holes, you know, and they go in and out and up and down. Right, right I've seen. You it. got a joystick, right? And um, anyways, I dumped it without the lid open. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. That's funny. But uh, but all but wait a second. Let me. Yeah, you're saying. To me, yeah. you mean you've
3: actually learned from doing work, yeah. hard work, making a living. Whilst. Did you get your hands dirty?
0: I, absolutely. And um, you know, when I ended up having some guys that were throwing up on the routes, and I had to go when I fired them. I had to go do it myself. And in the rain, and, um, you know, it's hard work. But that gives you that, that, that diligent, that work ethic. It carries forth in, in practicing engineering, um, in in practicing law. You're going to go that extra step. It's just built into me. You know, you're not, you're going to, hey, you're going to take it to court. I, I plead not guilty. Let's go to trial. And um, it's hard to convince the public, a lot of the public now, to do that when they've got this, you know, this, um, these, such these, if you go to trial, you're looking at such a higher sentence in these plea deals, and I think somewhere along the line that's unconstitutional, mm-hmm. to have these high penalties, and this is part of criminal justice reform, right? You have these high penalties, that they come at you and go, okay, uh 30 days suspended jail sentence and a $1,000 fine. Well, uh, if you don't take that, and you go to trial and you lose... Ten years! Yeah, you're looking at something that's ten times that, right. Right. It's outrageous. Right. Um, the bail system needs to be reformed. They've, they've proven in some instances, now there's some hard cases out there where they let some folks out on bail that and they hurt folks right but um well, you've got non you have got non violent alleged criminals and you've got these High bails out there. They've got to be
3: reasonable. Yeah. I don't agree, in, 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 and I know you don't, in eliminating bail. I think that is, we've seen the horror show that is created up in New York, for example, with that. But right. we need to also ensure that bail is responsibly set right. so that people have an opportunity to use it and they're not thrown in jail for a year prior to trial. That's right. And it comes down to details. When someone says criminal justice reform,
0: what, what in the heck are you talking about? No, let's talk about some details, right? Oh, I'm going to create jobs. Oh, oh, really? What are you going to do in the government to create me a job? Right. 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 Let's talk about details. How about lowering the, the power of code enforcement agents to bust into your house and search and see what you're doing? A, a great friend of mine, his father just passed away, Tom Schick, started Lexicon Steel, started that steel business out of his carport. Good for him. Can you imagine code enforcement rolling up on him 40 years ago and going, what are you doing with all this steel in around your carport? You can't be punching holes in steel trying to start a job. You know this guy employs eighteen hundred people now, and um, his son's taking it over. Patrick Schick, a guy I went to engineering school with. Matter of fact, Patrick Schick, if you're listening out there, thank you for loaning me your old exams because they are all hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, th- these these overarching platforms, right? These issues in the platforms. You hear people, Sam, but what does it really mean, criminal justice, lower taxes? How about no taxes, right? Let's talk about exactly which taxes are you willing to get rid of. What What are you willing to lower government um, impinging on your freedom? How about occupational licenses that just require a fee, right? No test, no exam. They just require you to pay a fee. And why in the world?
3: Is he you got to pay the king yeah. so that you can operate your job yeah. freely. Yeah. Wait, and, what?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I, uh, uh, my wife went and applied for a job and um, to teach at public schools. They, they charged her $50 for a background check. These are records that the government have. Why are they charging her $50 to check their own records? They're, they're charging her $50 to do the job that they're getting paid to do. Exactly. It's outrageous, Rob. So these small things.
3: They're not small, Detail, by the way. Right. These are not small things. These are the government picking my pocket every right. time I turn around, telling me, you can't do this, because we are the ones that imbue the freedom in you. No, you ain't. <laughs> that's right. No, you and ain't. People be- I'm the one that elected you. No, that's right. And,
0: but people are accepting this. That's right. But when you explain it to them, they go, wait a minute. Yeah, that should. they shouldn't be charging for that. That's right. No, they shouldn't be charging for that. So... Senator's well, like, Senator Cooper? He's gone. He's out.
3: Yeah. Well, it, it all boils down to the following, as I will say in the last minute of our show. Thanks for having me on, Rob. It's my pleasure. Your views are views of freedom, Chris. Right. Right. And freedom is what we, the people of Arkansas, and we, the people of the United States, and frankly, the people of the world, but I can't uh, ha- particularly influence that, um, it, uh, must be constantly be vigilant in protecting and pursuing because bureaucracy grows like kudzu and it will oh, take man. you over and it will choke you out and the alternative is to elect people like Dan Sullivan like Alan Clark like Great Chris people. Corbett thanks rob because i want you chris corbett to be the next senator elected up there in uh, faulkner county up there in conway When um, Jason Raper runs for lieutenant governor, that seat's going to be open, and I expect you to be running for it. Thank you all. God bless you all.